Welcome back, and thanks for joining me again. We've been considering point clouds in the plane and using them to partition the regions into triangles, triangulations, and Bornoi regions. We've also seen the ways computer scientists think. Well, this lecture moves from geometric tilings into topological tilings. But once again, we will run into computers. The tilings and patterns of animals and plants are filled with color and design of almost infinite possibilities. Consider patches on animals such as the giraffe, a leopard, or the back of a tortoise. The purpose of the coloring, etchings or shading patches, is to make them distinct or to make them blend into the environment. As we will see today, Although complexity can know no bounds, we find that simplicity has natural mathematical limitations. But we have talked a lot about geometry of partitions of the plane, but what can we say about the topology? We do have Euler's formula, which provides a relationship on edges and vertices and regions in the plane, but can we say more? especially when dealing with colors and patterns of regions? This is the question we ask today. Given a collection of patches on the plane, what is the least number of colors needed so that two patches that are next to each other must have different colors? Two patches adjacent with the same color look sort of like the same patch from a distance. So thus, we want to force the patches that are next to each other to be different colors. But if one patch is here and another patch is far away with numerous other patches in between, then they are certainly allowed to have the same color if you choose. So we can color each patch a different color. And if we do so, each patch will have its own special color and two patches that are next to each other will of course be different colors because they have their own special color for each patch. But that seems like we're using a lot of different colors. Can we be more efficient, more creative? Now, let's consider particular examples of this problem. But instead of looking at the entire network of patches on an animal or different structures of the back of a tortoise that we'll have to deal with, let's look at just one region at a time. Let's focus locally from the perspective of one region and look at its surrounding patches. If we have one region here, Let's call it region one. And if there's one surrounding region, we need two colors. If we have two regions overall, one in the middle and one surrounding it, two colors are needed, one for each. And if we have one region in the middle and two surrounding that, then we need three colors, one for each region. What if we have one region in the middle and three surrounding this region, regions two, three, and four? Notice here we need four total colors, one for each separate region. We need the region two to be its own color because two touches three, which touches one, which touches four. Since it's touching everything else, it needs to have its own color. Because if it was some other colors, some other region's color, they would just blend in. But here's what remarkably happens if you have five regions, one in the middle and four around. You would think that you would need five colors, one, two, three, four, and five. But look, here in this region five, I can actually use the same color as two. This two is not next to it at all. And remarkably, if we take a look at this example, only four colors are ever needed from one region's perspective. 
Look at region one. As long as you alternate colors of two, three, two, three, two, three, all the way around, except when you get near the end, you might have to put in another color four to keep yourself safe, you see that the worst case scenario of as many regions as you want around one region always requires just four the most. So notice that this problem about coloring that we saw from this local perspective is an issue with topology, not geometry. It does not have to do with area or length or size, but it has to do with relative position. So let's begin by looking at the history and motivation of this problem. Historically, this problem dealt with coloring countries in a map. Our motivating central patch example shows that we only need four colors from a local case. From the perspective of one country, four colors are needed. But what about a complicated network of countries? This is a global problem. Now, from the, from the local issue four, but what is the number of colors you will at most need from a bigger perspective? And this became known as the four color conjecture. It says the following thing. Can any map be colored using just four colors, where no two adjacent countries share the same color? Well, let's pause and think about this. First of all, we want to say, is this an important question? It actually turns out to be quite useless in the drawing of maps or to the makers of quilts and mosaics. Why is it useless? Because nowadays, and even in the past, we've had numerous colors at our disposal. We knew how to make dyes of different colors. So restricting ourselves to four colors seems an artificial constraint. However, on the way to understanding this problem, numerous practical problems have been solved related to communication and neural networks. What do I mean by this? Well, what's underlying this issue is the shape, the topology of adjacency, what's close to each other and how can we distinguish one from another one? If you look at the surface of your brain, you have these neurons that are firing all the time from one to another one, transmitting information. And if we can understand more about the structure of maps on a plane, this might give us insight into how adjacency and information is transmitted in the brain itself. But this is the power of mathematics. Things which we think are not important lay the foundation to pushing our understanding of shapes and patterns in far new ways. So let us consider what math has to say about this problem. We begin with this elegant result. The result says the following thing. Every map you could ever imagine that has ever been drawn before has to have at least one country in the map with five or fewer neighbors around it. This must be true. Now notice, this has nothing to do with coloring. It's just about any ways maps can be drawn on the plane. It's a, it's a topological information about the plane itself, not relevant about coloring. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna prove this result and we're gonna use contradiction. This is a mathematical construct we've studied earlier. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna assume this result is false and we're gonna come up with something that's gonna give us a contradiction, which means this result must have been true in the first place. Let's take a look. So in order to prove this by contradiction, we're going to assume that each region has six or more neighbors. So what does this do for us? Well, if each region has six or more neighbors, then from the perspective of the regions, let's count the number of edges. Each region has six or more edges. Well, but each region 
touches another region to form that edge. That means each edge is counted twice, one from this region and one from this region. So we get the formula 2 times the number of edges, 2e, is greater than or equal to 6 times the number of faces, these regions, 6f. But now, instead of counting it from the perspective of regions, let's count this from the perspective of vertices. Remember, three regions meet together, or more, might meet together to form that vertex. But if you want to count the number of edges from a vertex perspective, then each vertex has at least three edges coming out of it, because three regions meet there. So then, from the vertex perspective, we have that 2 times the number of edges is greater than or equal to 3 times the number of vertices, because each edge has two vertices, one on this side and one on this side. Now we can use Euler's great formula again. We have 2 equals v minus e plus f, that's Euler's formula. But if you look at v, we can solve our second equation and solve for v, and this becomes 2 thirds e. We can use our first equation to solve for f, and this becomes 1 third e. So then we get 2 equals v minus e plus f, which is less than or equal to 2 thirds e minus e plus 1 third e. But if you look at this and add the e's up, we get 0. Which means, if we plug it into Euler's formula, we get 2 is less than or equal to 0. Which is a contradiction. Something went wrong. And what went wrong was our assumption. We assumed that every country has six or more neighbors. If that's false, there must be a country out there with five or fewer neighbors. Using this lemma, which has nothing to do with coloring, we get the six-color theorem, which states that every map can be colored with six colors. What a beautiful result. That means no matter what map it is, whether it's an artificial map you've created, a map from the Lord of the Rings, or a map that exists in the world today, you only need six colors to color the regions so that two regions that are next to each other must have a different color. Now, this is a global result. It's not just a local result. This is true for the map, the entire map itself. And the proof of this is by contradiction. Let's take a look at it again. So we assume that there are maps that cannot be colored with six colors, right? We're going to assume what we want to prove is not true, and we're going to try to find a contradiction. So we assume that there are maps that cannot be colored with six colors, and among all the maps that exist that cannot be colored with six colors, we're going to choose the map with the smallest number of countries. Okay, so we have all the maps in front of us that cannot be colored with six colors. We pick the one with the smallest number of countries. If there's a tie, if several maps have the same small number of countries, it doesn't matter which one we pick. Just pick one of those, which is the least number of countries possible. Now we know this map with the smallest number of countries cannot be colored with six colors. But, but if we have one fewer country, then we can color it with six, because this is the one that cannot be colored with six colors with the smallest number of countries. And now we use our previous lemma. Remember what our previous lemma says, there is a country in every map with five or fewer neighbors. Call this country C. So here's my map, smallest number of countries possible which cannot be colored with six colors. I'm going to choose from my previous lemma my country C that has five or fewer neighbors. Maybe it's going to look like this. And I'm going to erase an edge between these two countries. And when I do that, I have one less country. And since I have one less country, this map can be colored with six colors. So I'm going to color the entire map using six colors. Let me do this. When I do this, 
then around this country seat, I might have colors like this. One, two, three, four, and five. Those five colors around it, right? Maybe the entire map is using six colors in special ways, but I'm just focusing around this one. But look what I'm gonna do. Now that the entire map is colored with six colors, I add that edge back in that I erased. But now I have colors one, two, three, four, and five all around it, but that central country has no color, and I'm gonna use my sixth color to color it. When I redraw this line, I'm able to use that spare color for this. So we colored this map, which needed more than six colors, with only six colors, which means there's a contradiction. Remember, the map we started with was the smallest one, which couldn't be colored with six colors, and now I did it. Thus, it was impossible to have such a map in the first place. It's great, it's great. But can we do better? We use six colors. Can you bring it down to five? Remember what we did previously. We had used Euler's result, vertices, edges, and faces, built in there to get this beautiful result about maps with six colors. Euler tells us about five or fewer neighbors, and it's this machine that gives us the six color theorem. It's this is the guy under the hood in my car that's making it all work. And to get fewer than six colors, I need to be more clever than Euler's formula. And a major breakthrough was made by Alfred Kempf in 1880. He created a beautiful way of studying colors on maps using chains of colors. This led to the remarkable five color theorem. Now here's a proof of his five color theorem. And again, it's a proof by contradiction. So we assume just like before, that there are maps that cannot be colored using five colors. And just like for the six color theorem, we choose the one with the smallest number of countries. So in front of me is a map that has the smallest number of countries that cannot be colored using five colors. Now, I'm gonna find a contradiction somehow with this thing. Now we know this map, again, must contain, from our old lemma that we started this lecture with, it must contain a country with at most five neighbors. So what would this look like? Let's take a look. If my country has four or fewer neighbors, then here's what I do. I do exactly what I did before. I remove that edge. I color the regions all around it. One, two, three, and four. Now I reinsert that edge. And now I have an extra country in the middle that I need to color. But remember, I can use up to five colors. So I pick that as my fifth color. Great. Since we have one less country, we can use this extra color and we're done. But this only works if my country that I picked has four countries around it or less. But what happens if the country that I picked happens to have five countries around it? In the worst case scenario, all countries around this central country might be using all five colors. So if I take my country, remove that edge like I did before, create a bigger country, and start coloring things one, two, three, four, and five, cut that country back in again, now look at this country in the middle. There are five neighbors around it. It's possible to have a country with five or fewer neighbors. So here, if I have five, my worst case scenario, then I need a color for the middle one. And I don't have a sixth color. I'm trying to prove the five color theorem. So we're stuck. And this is why Euler doesn't help us anymore. We need more creativity. So to help us tackle this issue, we need to introduce the method of chains of colors. What does this mean? Let's take a look. 
The first thing we do is we notice the five colors around this country C. Remember, C is the country without a color. It needs a color desperately, but I've used all my five colors around this country. So what do I need to do? Remember, the entire map is colored. Everything is done. I'm just zooming in on this one country, and if I can figure out a color for this, I'm set. I've got my proof by contradiction. But how can I get a color for this to show I can still color this map? Well, let's pick two colors around this country C that are not next to each other, say red and blue. Look at this country here colored red and this color blue, and they're not next to each other. Now we consider all red-blue chains of countries. So I look at the red and I go and find the next blue country that's next to it, and the next red countries that are next to those, and on and on and on, but I'm looking at blue, red, blue, red, blue, red chains around this. Now look at the top part of this chain. Look at the red, and there's a blue. It branches off to a red on either side, and then it branches off to blue. If I focus here, what happens if I switch all my reds into blues and all my blues into reds for my chain? Remember, there's a chain on top that goes from my red blues that touches my red country, and there's a chain in the bottom that starts and touches my blue country and has this blue-red chain. So I look at just one of the top chains, and I switch all my reds to blues and blues to reds. And if I do this, look what happens. The greens and the yellows and the oranges are not affected. They don't care if it's a red or a blue as long as it's different than them. So you just switch all the reds to blues and the blues to reds, but look at it from the perspective of C. My country C, since I've switched my blues to reds and reds to blues, has two blues next to it now. The bottom one has remained a blue, but the top one, the red, has become a blue and all the blues have become reds. So now I have this extra color to use. Red was never used. I picked red for my country C. I'm thrilled. It feels like we're done. But it turns out we're not. We get into a trap if we think it's over. Here's what could happen. What if the reds and the blues from the top chain and the bottom chain form a loop and they actually connect up? Now look what happens. If I switch my red to a blue from the top chain, it causes a literal chain reaction of colors, which changes my red to a blue around my country C. But since I'm switching all my reds to blues, it changes my blue back to red again in the bottom. So now I don't have that free red color to use. My reds become blues, but unfortunately, my blue in the bottom has become a red. And now we look at the shape of the plane itself and we notice this remarkable thing. If around my country C you have a chain of reds and blues going around, it must trap some colors inside that chain. So now let's look at my orange-green chains of countries. If you look at my orange-green chains to the right of this country C, I can switch all my oranges to greens and my greens to oranges, but you notice they can never connect up to the orange greens on the other side because my red-blue has cut them off with my chain. So by switching my oranges to greens and greens to oranges, you notice around my country C, I have a red and a blue, I have a yellow, but now I have two greens. So my orange becomes free and I can color my country C using this color. So we assume that this map cannot be colored with five colors. Remember the assumption we made. And now we have proved that we can use by this method of chains and subtlety that we can actually color it with five colors. Thus, we've reached a contradiction. And what the contradiction is, is the following thing. We thought that there were countries, excuse me, we thought that there were maps that you could not color using just five colors. That was the contradiction. So every map can be colored using five colors. 
Note that we never really used the fifth color in this map. We worried about the reds and the blues and the oranges and the greens, but, but the yellow never got used. This causes us to wonder, can only four colors be needed? So how many colors do we really need to color any country? We know four colors are definitely needed in the local condition, but can we get four colors for the global condition? We've used Euler to prove the six-color theorem. We just used the idea of change to prove the five-color theorem. Can we get a four-color theorem? That is a dream of dreams. That means the local condition and the global condition are actually the same. And amazingly, after 150 years, a revolution in mathematics occurred that this is indeed true. A four-color theorem exists. So how was the four-color theorem proved? How was it solved? It turns out, using a computer. Kenneth Apple and Wolfgang Haken reduced the four-color problem to checking several examples. Now, these aren't just silly examples of maps. There were almost 2,000 special cases they needed to check in order to show the four-color theorem was true. Now, these weren't 2,000 maps of countries, but 2,000 special properties about maps of countries. They used a supercomputer at the University of Illinois to do the calculations and their proof was completed in 1976. Indeed, the slogan, Four Colors Suffice, became the math department's postal meter slogan for the University of Illinois. And their work was received with joy and doubt, since it was the first great result to need a computer program to solve. Moreover, and this is the most important thing from a math perspective, it did not provide us with a deep understanding of ideas. We know what Euler is about, we know what chains of colors are about. We see the construction of the proof taking place, but a computer just spitting out an answer saying, I've checked 2,000 cases and life is good, doesn't tell us anything about the underlying topology of what's going on. Mathematicians wanted a deeper understanding and we didn't get it and we were frustrated. In 1997, over 20 years later, Four mathematicians, Robertson, Sanders, Seymour, and Thomas, provided a much simpler proof. It was based on the same ideas and still used computers. However, it only needed to check about 600 cases and takes a few hours to check on your home computer. Now, almost all mathematicians are satisfied with this result. Probably the most important reason being that in 20 years, we have got, we have, we've come to a greater understanding of what computers are about and why their usefulness is needed. Now, so far, we've been thinking about coloring patches on the plane. Now, seen in a different way, we've actually been thinking of coloring patches on a sphere. To see this, consider if you, if you have a patchwork on the plane, you take the outermost boundary of the map, the huge region that's infinitely big, and you can just wrap that around the sphere. And it turns out all the issues on the plane turn out to be identical to issues on the sphere. All our arguments about Euler and chains that work for the plane also work for the sphere. Thus, we can have this new result, which says any partition of the sphere, any way you want, can be colored with only four colors. Beautiful. Now, how does a mathematician think? What happens when we try to color patches, not on a sphere, but what about on a torus? What about on a surface of genus 2 or a surface of genus 12? Can you imagine a world of a genus 12 surface where there are countries which need to be colored? Maps on those worlds, not maps on simple spheres that we worry about. Well, remember how we constructed a genus G surface? 
We said a genus G surface is actually made up of a 4G-sided polygon which gets glued together. So a genus 1 surface is a 4-sided polygon, a square, and we can build the torus from a square. Similarly, a genus G comes from a 4G-sided polygon. So we can take our polygon, draw our maps on the polygon, and start gluing it to get our genus G surface with our maps on that. But as G increases, more and more gluings need to be made, which means that countries that are over here and over here, which might have the same color when you color it on the plane, when you glue them, these same colored countries might be touching, which means now you have to make them different colors. So instinctively, more countries are allowed to touch one another, and thus most likely more colors are needed to color the maps of a genus G surface than just a normal sphere. So let's just start by considering the torus. Now recall that the Euler characteristic for the torus is vertices minus edges plus faces equals zero. Remember the sphere is equal to two, but the torus equals zero. And using this, we can show that every map on a torus has at least one country with six or fewer neighbors. Now we can use the same ideas as above to show that at most seven colors are needed on a torus using the Euler version. Remember what we did, the Euler version on the sphere gave us the six color theorem, and the Euler version on the torus gives us the seven color theorem for the torus. But remember how the six color theorem became a five color theorem because of creativity, and then became a four color theorem because of the computer? Can I take the seven color theorem on the torus and use creativity and drop that down? Let's take a look. A torus can be drawn in a different way. If I take the torus and cut right on the top, I can open it up to an annulus, a disc with a hole in it. And if I glue the inside of the hole to the outside of the hole, I get the torus again. Now, if this is a way of drawing the torus with this gluing map, then look at this particular configuration. Consider this map on the torus. I've drawn seven countries on the torus. And look at country number one. Country one touches country two here, and it touches country three here, and four here, and five here, and six here, and seven here. In fact, country one touches all seven countries. In fact, this is true for all of the countries. Every country touches every other country in this map of the torus. What does this mean? Remember, we have the seven color theorem for the torus using Euler, and it turns out you can't drop it down to six or five like we did for the sphere because this example shows that seven colors are actually needed. You need seven colors because every country touches everything else. So, for the torus, we have something called the seven color theorem, but for the sphere, we have something called the four color theorem. What a beautiful jump, and what a beautiful structure the sphere has that the torus doesn't have. Well, in general, Percy Hewood proved a beautiful result for surfaces of genus G. Let's take a look. We have the following calculations he has. He gave us this formula, which said if you take one half times the quantity seven plus the square root of one plus 48 times G, take your answer after you do the square root and all the multiplication and look at the smallest whole number that's, uh, that's right next to this thing. So if this number gives you, gave you 7.82, you pick the number seven because it's that whole number that's right there. Then this will give you the number of colors needed for a genus G surface. So for genus one, you get seven colors, which we see if you plug into this formula. Genus two, you get eight. Genus three, you get nine. All the way up to genus nine, you get 13, and you can keep calculating this. 
he showed one needs at most this many colors. This is the worst case situation you need, is what he would showed. But he did not show that one needed all these colors. He didn't show that you might be able to simplify it more. Now we know for the Taurus, you need all seven colors. But do we need all 13 colors for the genus nine surface? Or is there a clever argument for a genus nine surface that you don't need 13 for? In other words, as we reduce the number of colors on the plane from six to five to four, can we reduce these numbers? Well, in 1968, Ringel and Young's proved that these were the best we can do. And their proof is based on an elegant case-by-case -case design. Thus, for any genus G surface, we have a coloring theorem. For the sphere, we have a four-color theorem, and for torus, we have a seven-color theorem, and for any genus G, based on the works that you see here, we have this beautiful formula that tells us exactly the number of colors you need, and you will not need any more colors. So what have we done in this lecture? We have talked about the underlying structure of patterns and the topology of coloring. We pushed beyond Euler to get not six colors or the idea of chains to get five colors, but the inclusion of computational exhaustion to get four colors. Our next lecture looks at tilings in the three-dimensional world with some stunning applications to designs and bubbles. Stay tuned.